my sobriety date is December 23rd, 1995. I have a sponsor. His name is Todd L. My home group that I attend with my sponsors, the Bellflower Big Book Group. I also attend a regular meeting on Tuesday night with Ryan and a Thursday night meeting in Long Beach called Under the Bridge. And um, I absolutely love AA. Love AA. And um, I know if you're new and you hear me say that, you're probably like, yeah, whatever. Because I know when I was doing, I heard someone say that. I'm like, how can you love AA? So I get it. Um, I want to welcome if you're new. There's a lot of new people here today. I absolutely love that. And you know, you never, ever have to drink again. You never do. So um, I want to tell you with all and a lot of young people here too, which is really cool. So, you know, I've already heard what I needed to hear tonight. You know, welcome again to the newcomers. Congratulations to the chip shakers and, and the birthday birthdays. Wow. Like a year. We had some other people with years and, and Tim and Carol. Gosh, I love you guys. Love you guys. Happy birthday. And, um, Where's Christy? Where'd you go? Well, there you are. Thank you for having me come down here. Appreciate it. So um, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I didn't even time myself, but okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I was born in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's not why I'm an alcoholic. No, no, no. I love, I love Jacksonville. I have family back there. I love Florida. Southern hospitality. It's great. Um, there's even good AA back there, actually, too, I found out over the last few years. So I was born to this big family, big Italian family. We're always doing stuff with every single night, it seems like. my two, One pair of grandparents lived, like, right down the street. Another one, another set lived right across town. I had cousins right up the streets. We were always doing stuff with family all the time. And that was my early memories, like, from the time I can remember. And I remember when I was five years old, my dad um, got this job promotion to move move out here to California. He didn't ask my opinion about it or what I wanted to do about that. So next thing I know, we're at the airport and we're standing at the gate. And it's not like it was now. It's not like it is now back then. So basically the whole family, there's like 30 people at the gate telling us all goodbye. I'm going to jump on this plane that I can see through the window. And it's going to take me like from what I was told six hours that way to callous something. I'm like, I'm like leaving all my family behind, like, Everyone I knew. I mean, I and I have a, I had a great family. I have a great family. I had great parents. I had a sister that she came along after I did. No other alcoholics in the family. They treated me wonderfully. I was very blessed. Very blessed to grow up in a, in a nice home. And so we get in this plane to come out to California. And I just remember being so upset, leaving everybody I knew when I was five years old, crying the whole way out here. So we get out here to California and I start preschool and realize that not too long after I start going to school that I can't see that well. So I have to go to the eye doctor, the optometrist, and I got to get glasses, right? And so I'm wearing contacts right now. Otherwise, you guys would be all a blur. I wouldn't see all of you at all. So I had to get these glasses. And I'm looking out here and, you know, I see some pretty cool people. Those glasses are pretty cool, right? Those are cool. Like yours, those are cool. Like everyone's got really stylish, cool glasses. Even those back there, yeah. So the glasses I they gave me, they were like this big and like that thick, like super thick. They were super head. Like I hurt my nose and like my eyes looked super big. And, but I needed, I didn't realize that there was something to see out there. So it was actually cool that I could see, but I just remember being teased like crazy called four eyes and all kind of stuff. And, um, didn't make me feel too good. I could have used a drink at five years old. I tell you. <laughs> so I, uh, So I go to I go to school kindergarten, um, which is right down the street. I could walk there and it was safe to do that back then. And 
And so I go there. And then in first grade, instead of going to that same school right down the street, my parents decided to send me to decide to send me to private school, um, which was a Catholic school in Brea, which is like 20 minutes from where I live. And I grew up in Placentia. So I have to wear this uniform. I'm going to this school, people I didn't know. And um, I wasn't too happy about it. So I start going to this school and they realize that um, I had a hard time concentrating or staying focused. So they sent me to this doctor and they gave me these pills to take before I go to school and during school um, to help me focus. And it was Dexedrine. So I'm taking this Dexedrine and I was really quick and efficient. I was really focused. I, I, I lost all, I didn't eat anything. I lost my appetite. My mom would pack these great lunches for me every day and I just throw them away because I wasn't hungry. Like, I didn't know why back then. I know now why. Now I now I know, but so I do this, I'm focusing, and then one day, like in fourth grade, this little kid Johnny was making fun of me, calling me four eyes or something. I don't know what. So I took this pin, I taped a needle to the end of it, and I was gonna threaten Johnny just so he wouldn't do it again. I wasn't gonna do anything to him. I was just threatening Johnny. So he grabbed it, took it to the teacher, and I ended up getting uh, suspended for a week from school. And then during that week, I ended up getting chicken pox. So I was out another week after that. And during that two weeks, my parents somehow, I don't know how, they decided to send me back to the public school, which was right down the street with all my friends. I'm like, yes, right on. So in my mind, I'm like, I get to spin in chicken pox and I get to go to the school I want. Perfect. It worked out. So I'm going to this school. I'm still taking those um, that medication. And somehow the kids found out about it, started teasing me about that. Still wearing the glasses and. And so, you know, I just never felt, I had never felt like I was part of, I, I never felt, I felt less than, I never felt I had enough, like, and truth be told, I had a good family, I had everything a kid would want, like, my dad was taking me all these ball games, football games, Rams games, Angels games, all kind of stuff back in the day, and I never thought I had enough, I never thought I was good enough or anything, I remember playing soccer when I was like six years old, and I was number 10, and I was out there running the field, and I remember that I thought if I covered up the number, they probably wouldn't notice that I was out there, like, like, who, who does that? So I get into seventh grade. I go to a new school in seventh grade, and I was just in Florida. Now, my grandpa played for the University of Florida, so I've been a Gator fan since I was I was a kid. Now, when you're back in Florida and you show up anywhere, any school or anything, if you're wearing your Gator fan, you're wearing orange and blue to school, you're cool. No problem at all, right? When you come out here to California, you go to a brand new school, seventh and eighth graders, you're the youngest one in seventh grade wearing orange and blue from head to toe. I, I even had orange Converse. You're doing that, not so cool. So I remember being teased, even worse than four eyes. Like they were calling me the nerd from hell. They were throwing food at me. And I remember they threw me on top of the locker and they were just going, nerd, nerd, nerd. And I was just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then these long haired Hessian kids, um, would chase me home from school. And the only reason we called them Hessians back then is because they had long hair and liked heavy metal. That was the reason why we called them Hessians. So I don't even know what, you know, that's what we did. So these kids would chase me home and, and the few times they caught me and they would, they would beat me up and let me have it. But I think that's where I, I got really fast. So it helped out in football because of that. But so, and I still hadn't taken a drink yet. And so I remember like the end of that year, I was feeling depressed. I didn't really have any friends. I was a nerd from hell at school and I just felt really down. And, you know, there was no alcohol in the house because my parents didn't drink. And so I just remember being really depressed. I remember thinking of, I wanted to die and I wanted to kill myself. And so I was sitting in my room and in the desk and I love Metallica now. I love them then. And there was a song Metallica called Fade to Black. And so what I did was I wrote the lyrics down on this piece of paper, hoping someone would read them one day and um, know how I really felt. 
And so the lyrics, they go like this. Um, Life, it seems to fade away, drifting farther every day. There is nothing more for me. I need the end to set me free. So I wrote the lyrics down, put it at my desk, waiting for someone to read it. No one read it. So um, didn't do much good. There was no alcohol around. So anyway, um, somehow I worked through that. I got, I was okay for a time. I still undrank. Then I got into high school, started playing football, started going to parties, right? And so I remember we're over at my buddy's house and, and you know, I grew up in the, in the eighties. That's when I grew up and Ronald Reagan was our president. Our first lady was Nancy Reagan. Her big thing was just say no. And so I did, I just said no. So finally I said, yes. So, but I did, I just said no for a long time. So I remember being at this party, there was kegs going around, but before we went to this party, I didn't really know what to expect. My buddy, we decided we were going to um, drink and we had these 32 ounce cups filled up the 32 ounce cup with about half of vodka, some peppermint schnapps and a little bit of seven up. And I like to taste the peppermint, right? So we're drinking this thing and it's tasting good and I'm putting it down and I'm just like, Ooh, I've arrived. I am no longer a nerd from hell. Like I grew muscles. I was, I was just feeling great. And we went to this party, started drinking from the keg. I barely remember being at the party because I was just on top of the world. And so they took me home after that night. And I'm like, man, this is the deal. This is the deal. And my aunt and uncle actually had happened to be in town from Florida that night visiting. And usually when I get home, or then when I got home, 10 30, 11 o'clock, my parents are already in bed, but they were all up having pie, drinking coffee, whatever old people do. They're probably my age now, so I'm talking about myself. But they were up drinking, and I looked at them, and I was completely blitzed. And look at them. I just got, yay, I'll see you guys in the morning. I'm going off to bed. I didn't even make it to the bedroom, right to the toilet, and I just lost it. I just threw up things I didn't even think I ate. It was horrible, horrible. I passed out on the floor. The next morning, my dad my uncle come in to wake me up. They're like, okay, son, get up. We're going to Raging Waters. I'm like, no, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you are. Let's go. That was the worst day of my life up until that point. The absolute worst day. Like, I had to go to Raging Waters out in the 85-degree heat, and I was just feeling horrible. But for as bad as I felt that day, I couldn't wait to drink again. I couldn't wait to do that again. And so, you know, fast forward, I... I, I was barely able to graduate. I graduated high school barely. I, I didn't really do any outside issues or anything until after um, I stopped playing football after my last high school foot last high school football game, and and that just expedited everything. I graduated high school. I started working at this golf course, and I don't think I took a sober breath when I was working there. Um, I would drink when I got off work. I was doing other things while I was there, just completely wasted all the time, and knowing this whole time that what I was doing was wrong. I wasn't raised that way. I was not raised that way to, to do that. And so I was drinking, getting wasted. I started working at this hotel. I was, they actually hired me to drive a bus, driving people back and forth to Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. And I tell you what, on shrooms, the best job you can ever have. Everyone is so happy. I played this killer music and I could still kind of drive. I thought I was sober, I was fine. And um, I ended up getting fired from that job actually. <laughs> So I started, I started working at a grocery store, bagging groceries. And I tell you, they love me there too. I could bag groceries very fast, very efficient because I discovered that white stuff, right? So, and they would send me in these special projects where I would scrape the labels off the uh, the coolers and put new ones on and they could count on me. I would get them done super fast, right? So I remember one day I was back in the cooler. I was, I was stocking the dairy case and I'm like, ooh, whipped cream. And so I started huffing the whipped cream and it's like, 
wah, 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 wah. Okay. Whoa. So I do that. That became a daily thing, right? I was back there. So one day I was back there huffing this whipped cream. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground. I, I was like getting up. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm sweating profusely. At least I thought I was. Like it's 30 degrees and it's cooler. How could I be sweating? And I wipe my head and there's blood all over my head. I'm, I must have fallen, banged my head or something. And I'm like, what am I going to tell? How am I going to tell my boss? Like, how am I going to explain this? So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to tell him. So I did another one really quick. And and so I went back and told him. And I'm like, you know what? I was I was doing a price check in aisle one. I was running. I sipped in some water and hit my head. They're like, okay, we'll check the video. Oh. Right? So luckily the videos aren't like they were today. They never saw the video. And um, and they said, well, go home. It's okay. Come back in a couple of days. Take some time off. And so I come back in a couple of days. That scared me a little bit. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stop just doing the drugs and doing that other stuff. I'm just going to drink, right? And let's stick with that. Because that's I don't get in trouble doing that, right? So, so I come back to work after like two days, two whole days. Like I got some of my normal energy back. And one of the checkers accused me of being on drugs. I did. That's not going to fly with me. So I went and complained to the manager. I'm like, Someone was accusing me of being on drugs. In my mind, I'm like, it's been two whole days, right? And so they knew what I was up to. The manager's like, well, do you want to go take a drug test? I'm like, sure. So I drive down to take the drug test, but I stop at a head shop. Now they call them vape shops. But so I stopped at this head shop and uh, at this, I don't know, they used to sell these shakes. So you take this shake and it says in the thing, it's 100% guaranteed to pass any drug test, right? So I took the shake, went and took the drug test, waited a day, went back to work, ready for my shift. I'm like, we're good, right? They're like, no, you failed the drug test. So luckily I was part of a union and they said, okay, we're going to suspend you for 30 days and you're going to go to an outpatient program. That's where I was sort of introduced to you guys. So I did this outpatient for 30 days. They had family night on Wednesday nights. My parents now were on to me. They had no clue what was going on. They told me to go to some meetings. I maybe went to one or two. Did, still didn't stop drinking. I thought my problem was just the outside issues. So I still didn't stop drinking. I may have went to a meeting or two to a bunch of old people. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so I graduated from that 30-day program. I went back to work at, at the um, grocery store, working night crew now. And I was also coaching high school football um, up in Placentia. So I'm doing all that. Still hanging out with the same people, knowing what I was doing was wrong, and I still couldn't stop. And so that was in May. I, I did that right when I was 21. So I got, you know, that was, I just turned 21. I got busted. Um, that was in May of 95. So fast forward to like November, December of 95. And I, there was taking these drug tests for work and I was passing them. And so finally one day I'm like, well, you know, maybe if I just do a little bit and drink a bunch of cranberry juice, take golden seal, whatever, maybe I can pass a drug test. So I actually tried it a little bit. I did that and I did pass one. And so then, okay, the next week I'll do it. And before, before I knew it, um, I was just back full, full go. Like, I didn't care about losing my job. I didn't care about anything. My parents were on to me. I was getting so depressed, even worse back when I wrote that Metallica song. And it was normally, normally when I was get that way, I would just drink a bunch and it would, it would, I'd be fine. Right. But I couldn't drink enough or use it, do enough drugs to cover up those feelings. And I remember I was going back to Florida for a week um, to go to a Jaguar football game. It was one of their, for their first season. I was going back to a game in, in like December of 95. And I went back there. My buddy Leo picked me up from my house. Well, my parents' house, let's face it. I'm still living at home. And on the way to the airport, it, it was Ontario airport. I just got completely obliviated the whole way up there. You, you, you imagine it. I was doing it just completely wasted. Cause I was getting that plane to go to Florida. I was going to be wasted. At the time, my dad worked in Doherty, which is right around the corner from Ontario. 
And so I get out of his car, barely get out of his car, still on his car, walking to the gate. And there's my dad standing right there. So he looked at me. I look at him. And he goes, have a good time. And that was it. So I got in the plane, went to Florida, came back. He picked me up. It was a very quiet ride home. So we get home and I walk in the front door and I look um, on the porch in our front door. And right in the porch, there was these two or three big garbage bags. And I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. We take our trash out the back door. I'm like, why is it out here? So anyway, I was making a beeline right to my room because I had a couple bottles in the in whatever, whatever else I had in the closet. And my mom and dad were sitting at the table. They're like, no, come here. We got to talk to you. I'm like, well, give me a second. I go back to my room real quick. No, sit down at the table. We need to talk. And so um, sat down at the table with them. And I'm assuming when we went to those family nights when I was in the outpatient, they must have gone to Al-Anon or talked to some people because what they told me was, we know what you're doing. Um, you're not going to do that under our roof. You're out. So I'm like, okay, well, let me go in my room and get my stuff. Your stuff's already on the porch. Go. You're out. And so they kicked me out. And so... I was homeless for three days on the main streets of Placentia, California, right? So three days is what I lasted. Three days. The first day was literally right across the street at my buddy Ryan's house. And he had a bunk bed. I was on the top bunk for the first night. I don't know why he had a bunk bed. You we were like 21 or 22. Who knows? <laughs> I was on the top bunk. The next two nights, I stayed in the boat with him down in Long Beach while him and his three buddies were just tweaking, whatever they were doing. So finally that third night I got my car and I was um I was going to drive home and and I ended up you know right down the street from my parents house like there's this condominium complex right where they next to the where we live or where they live and and there's these tennis courts and there's two parking stalls and they're still still there today and I was parked in one of them and I can look from that still I can look right down the street and I parked there one night it was the night before I got sober the 22nd of December of 1995 and I was going to make a decision that night. I was going to do one of two things. I was either going to kill myself or I was going to get some help. And I went back and forth with that. And I was just, just getting completely wasted. And I must have had a, a moment of clarity because I had somehow thought, it must have been God, that, you know what, let me try and get some help. And if that doesn't work, I'll kill myself later. In case you're wondering, I haven't, I haven't had to kill myself yet. <laughs> and, I, and I say yet because I know without a doubt that if I take another drink, I'll be right back where I was in the December 22nd, 1995, right there. So thank God I haven't had to take a drink since then. So I ended up driving home. Um, right. You know, I was, I was completely wasted, but it was literally like a 30 second drive or less, like five miles an hour. Um, so I pulled in and I told my mom and dad, I knocked on the door and, and they said, what's going on? And I'm like, you know what? I need some help. Can you call up that place I was at, that cornerstone place? And I, like I said, I think with Alan on, they're like, no, you call them. And so, so I, so I had to call and they said, well, come down here tomorrow morning, um, eight o'clock, bring clothes for seven or eight days and we'll, we'll see what we can do for you. So I did that. And that was, um, that was a Saturday, December 23rd, 1995, my sobriety date. Um, that day, um, I remember I was being, I was in this room. It was right by a pool. I had a guy right next to me. There was a big book on the table. And then when I left there, I took that book with me. I thought it was mine. Apparently it wasn't. It belonged to the treatment center. I still have it. So I probably owe that amends. But anyway, um, so we had like a group meeting in the garage there. And then we, they didn't take us to a meeting that night. They had a panel come in, I believe that night, the next night, which was Sunday was Christmas Eve. Uh, we loaded up at the druggy buggy. Um, and I had flashbacks when I pulled up, there was a druggy buggy out here with a bunch of people in there. I'm like, man, that's where I was. Yeah. 
in that druggy buggy, just loaded in there. So they took us down to the Newport Club, the Sunday night speaker meeting at the Newport Club that night. And there's a good chance Carol was there that night. Um, and I do know that for sure my first three sponsors and possibly my all four people that I've been able to call sponsors were most likely all in that room that, that night. And I didn't know it. And I didn't know anything about AA. I hadn't sat, I'd been to a speaker meeting before. I didn't really pay attention before, but I sat in that meeting. I'll never forget the seat I was in. And the speaker went up there, it was this old guy. And I'm like, okay, this guy's going to be sharing. And this guy, I was relating to this guy, what he was saying. Like, it was unbelievable. This old man is sharing and I'm relating. I'm like hearing things in his story that I'm like, wow. And it was Dr. Paul who was speaking that night. It was wild. Like, and he has a story in the big book. And so I remember that being that first night. And so um, I ended up doing the 30 days in treatment, but for me, that's what I needed. But I remember before, you know, I was like two weeks in and my counselor said, you know, you got two weeks left here. After this, there's nothing more we can do for you. Not a thing. There's no classes that'll help you. There's no after program. There's nothing that'll help you. The only thing that'll keep you sober is if you get involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, you get a sponsor, you take the steps and you work with people. Otherwise, you're, you're going to drink again. So start by getting a sponsor before you leave here. That was my, that was the one thing she told me before I leave there to get a sponsor. So I ended up going um, to the meeting the next Sunday and there was a short little stocky guy. Um, he was the secretary of the meeting. His name was Marty Roseman. And uh, I asked him if he'd be my sponsor. And he said, yeah, but I have to ask you a question. He's like, are you willing to do anything to stay sober? And I said, yes, yes, I am, Marty. He's like, okay, well, call me every day at 7 a.m. Like, Marty, I don't wake up till nine. He's like, you just told me you were willing to do anything to stay sober. I asked you to call me at seven o'clock and you can't even do that. Find yourself another sponsor and he walks away. Okay, okay, Marty, I'll call you at 7 a.m. He's like, and you're going to get a commitment at this meeting. I'm like, a commitment? What's a commitment? He's like, it doesn't matter. Just do it. I'm like, do what? That's literally how he talked to me. And I was a 21-year-old punk kid, but I listened to the guy. I'm like, whoa, okay, I better listen to this guy. For some reason, I did. I don't know why I did, but I did. And so he had me get a commitment that night. And um, and so I did. And he's like, and you're going to get numbers from three other guys and you're going to call three other alcoholic men every day at least. So I'm like, why do I need to do that? He's like, don't ask me, just do it. I'm like, yes, sir. OK. And so, you know, I'm looking on the wall, I'm going to meetings, I'm getting commitments, I'm, I'm doing these little things, even though I had no idea why. Why do I have to call three people a day? Why do I have to get commitments? I didn't understand. I had no clue until much later when I learned but then, um, you know, I saw these steps on the wall and I'm looking at those steps and, and I know Marty's, you know, having me do the steps and, you know, we're getting a two and three and, and he tells me, um, do you pray? He's like, not really. Um, I tell him and he's like, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you put your keys and your shoes under your bed? That way, when you're down on your knees to get your shoes and your keys, just ask God to give you the one to stay sober that day and do the serenity prayer. Start simple. I still that to the day. My shoes are still under the bed. My keys, I don't put them under the bed, but the shoes are still under the bed. That's what I do. I hit my knees and I do a lot more praying other than those two. It's kind of evolved. The third, the seventh round prayer. I pray for newcomers that are still out there. I I do that deal. Um, but it was just simple little things that got me rolling on that. And then I'm looking ahead to, to the fourth step, fourth and fifth step. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's some things I'm just not going to tell Marty, there's just not going to happen. And so I got him on the phone one day and I said, yeah, Marty, you know, we'll do, I'll do this four step and fifth step with you, but I'm just not going to tell you some things. He's like, Oh really? He's like, well, you know what? If you don't, you're going to drink. And he hangs up the phone. 
So I got the message loud and clear from him. I did. So I did that. I did a thorough four step and, and I ended up sharing everything with him. And when I was sharing some of these things with him, I thought I was the biggest dirt bag in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous for some of the things I did. And so I would get these off my chest and he would tell me something he did. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. <laughs> and, and it's, it's like that, you know, the, and what I'm saying is you're not going to shock us by anything that you've done in your first step. We've all done it. We've all got something that we're, it's the worst thing we've ever done. But that was, that was very freeing for me when I did that with him. And, and so um, I worked the steps with Marty and then, you know, I was about, gosh, four, four years sober, five years sober, something like that. I get a call from my grand sponsor at the time, Jack Riley. He called me like at nine o'clock at night and I see Jack every week, just like I saw Marty every week at that Sunday night meeting. And Jack calls me one night and he, um, I go, Hey, what's going on? He's like, well, I wanted to call you. Um, Marty just died. He had a massive heart attack in the Philadelphia airport. And I'm like, Whoa, like, he's like, but I'm going to be your sponsor. You're going to call me every day. Like you were calling him. And I took a breath like that. I'm like, okay. Like Marty knew more about me than anyone in the world. Like I shared some of my deepest stuff with this guy and he just, and he, and he died. And so, um, I started working with Jack and, you know, a few years later, um, five or six years later, Jack was starting to get old and, and we uh, started seeing him just get really old. And I knew that, um, you know, the time was getting close for him to go as well. And, uh, and so about four or five days before he passed, um, my well my most not my current sponsor my sponsor before that ron st john i said hey ron you know jack's gonna go like i don't know what it's like i want to have a sponsor that i and i've seen you every you've been over that first meeting i was at um will you sponsor me he's like absolutely he's like well actually let me think about this your first two sponsors are dead or gonna die i don't know if i want to take your case on <laughs> but he, he was joking of course but so i was i was with ron up until um up until about six, six, six months ago. And, and I'll tell you, you know, life, life has been, has been great. It's been great. There, and there's all, there's, we always have these challenges in life. And a very good friend of mine says, you know, we don't have problems. We have challenges because challenges we can get through. You know, I've been, I've been through some, some amazing relationships, some crazy ones um, where I was a crazy one, by the way, I've had some good jobs I've got fired from. I've made some stupid decisions. I've made some big mistakes. I've had to make some amends. In other words, what I'm saying is it's life isn't always walks on the beach, poems, and roses. I say something different on a Tuesday night meeting, but I'm not going to say it here. Um, it's not always perfect, right? But, you know, no matter what challenge I'm going through, there's someone else in the room, whether it's a man or woman, that has gone through that same challenge, and I can go talk to them about it. And I have a sponsor that I can call every day and let him know what's going on. And even today, I still call my sponsor every day. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of fun in Alcoholics Anonymous, a lot of fun. We do this thing every year called the powwow. Now it's the roundup. I still call it the powwow. I'm sorry, Carol. It's still the powwow, but we do that every single year. The roundup. Got to get used to that. Roundup. <laughs> the best convention you'll ever go to. If you can get out there, it's out in the desert second week in June. It's awesome. So we have a lot of fun out there. Yeah. And it took me till I was like six years so before I finally went out there. I'm, yeah. I see the look in your eyes going out to the desert with a bunch of A's. Is that fun? It is. Trust me. It is. I have a lot of fun out here, you know, but um, my best friends are not called synonymous. Like my boys are not called synonymous. You know, I feel most comfortable when I'm with you guys, you know, I really do. Um, so this last year, um, actually back up a little bit, you know, 10 years ago, I had this, I was married. I was on top of the world, I had a stepson, 
ended up going through divorce, ended up going through some credit issues at the same time, all at once. I thought my life was over and it was, it was a rough go. But what I did was I jumped in AA. I did more AA. I was going to one to two meetings a day sometimes just to stay out of my head. And I was able to make everything right with everybody, get in the right path. I, I got a good job and, and I was working through this job and I ended up meeting this girl in Alcoholics Anonymous. We were friends for like six or seven months and we ended up started dating. We got um, got engaged. I've been married for six months. We have a sober home and it's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. She's got a program. I got a program. We each have our own sponsors and we do the deal and it's, and it's a, and it's a blessing. And I, and without AA, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible. It would not be possible for someone like me. Um, this last year has been a very challenging year to say the least. Um, about a year or so ago, we had to put my dad into, and uh, he started really going downhill. Um, he the dementia, Alzheimer's. We had to put him in a board and care. And it, um, and my mom was kind of having a really tough time. So I had to help her out with all this, with the finances and with everything. And it was, it was an awful lot. But you know what? I didn't have to do it alone. I did not have to do it alone. I had other guys that had gone through that same thing that I went through. And um, and back in June, my, my father passed away. And that was probably one of the most difficult things I've gone in sobriety. And there's people in this room that I talked to like that day, like three hours before he died, I was on the phone with Ryan. And, um, and there are people in this room that showed up for me, that were on the phone, that were calling me, that were there. And what did I do? I just stayed right in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. He um, he passed away on a Tuesday and and that was right when I was supposed to go out to the roundup. And, and I was just so like beside, I didn't even know which direction was which. And so we, we made the arrangements the next day. And then Thursday, we're like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? I had no idea. I was just like, God, what do I do? And and so um, just took me out to the desert. Just went out to the desert to be my people. I needed the AA love. I, I wasn't, I was not really all there, but I was present. I was there and that's where I wanted to be. Thank you. And, um, you know, we had a great service for him and there's people that showed up there for me and, and I, I can never repay that. It's, it was unbelievable. But what it tells me is, you know, I got to be there for for you right? What can I do for you? You know, this Alcoholics Anonymous is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I'm so grateful for it. Like, you know, on a Sunday night, I can't think of a place where I'd rather be within you guys. I walk in here and I could feel the electricity. I can feel the love in this group. Um, got to see two of my dearest friends take cakes tonight. What a, what a deal this is. And I could have missed it all. I could have missed it all. I had a buddy of mine that I went to high school. We went to, I've known him since I was like in fifth grade. And then I got sober like back in 95. And, and then he ended up moving to Vegas to Henderson. Actually, he moved to Henderson and he like was a worse drinker than I was. Right. And so he was partying and he had a daughter. And so I'd go up there and visit him so I could see his daughter. I was like a godfather. So I'd go up there and see him, but he was still in his disease, but I wanted to go see him. He's like my best friend. And so I'd go up there like Friday night, hang out with the day. And then Sunday morning, I'd leave like at 7am to drive home. I told him I was leaving so I could beat traffic. I just couldn't stand being around him that much. That was fine. I needed to get to a meeting, but I wanted to spend that time with him and his daughter. And so I knew that one day if he decided to get sober, maybe he would give me a call. Who knows? So anyway, a few years later, I got a call um, that he had actually um, checked into checked into rehab. And prior to that, um, his dad um, who had passed away when I was nearly sober, his dad had eight years of sobriety. His dad died eight years sober. So when his dad passed away, he gave Jason, my buddy, he gave him his a 24-hour day book and he gave his um my buddy his eight eight-year chip. So when I got eight years, I know I'm bouncing around, but stick with me. It's all about the same guy and the same and me. So 
So when I, they had this 30 year surprise birthday party for me, which I hate because I hate all that attention on me. But anyway, I just got eight years sober. So my buddy came down from Henderson and gave me his dad's eight year chip and gave me his 24 hour day book. I'm like, right on. Thank you. And knowing about my buddy, Jason, um, he was still drinking pretty bad at this time. I, I, as part of my morning cry, I'd pray that one day, maybe I could give him that eight year chip back. Maybe one day. And so, gosh, four or five years, five years after that, another buddy of mine ended up dying from this disease um, that I went to high school with also. And that was pretty tough watching a family bury their son that was my age. And that could have been me. And Jason came down and he was sober like 30 days at the time for the funeral. So I gave him his dad's 24 hour day book. I'm like, Hey, you could probably use this more than I could right now. And, um, but I held on to his eight year chip. He only had 30 days. I'm like, I'm not giving that to him yet. He's got to earn it. So I kept praying. I kept praying and praying and praying. And so a year went by two years. He got a three-year chip. He got a four-year chip. So he got all the way. He got eight years. And so I was supposed to actually go out there and go see him. Like his birthday is actually his a birthday is May 15th. Right. So I was supposed to go out there at the end of April for something and ended up falling through, which was perfect. I'm like, well, how about I come out the second week in May? He's like, sure. And I knew why I was doing that. This was right after his birthday. So he got the eight years. I drove out to Vegas, um, Henderson. I drive up. He's out in the driveway. And I, man, I, I couldn't get there fast enough. I was so excited to give him this chip. And so I get out of the car. He's in the driveway. I walk up to him. I hold out the chip. He looked at it. I looked at it. And we both just start crying. Like, what a deal. What a deal that was. Like, he got his dad's eight-year chip back. And now he's got 50. He's got, he just took 16 years. You know, what a deal this is. Like, and I thought it was a miracle that I got sober. Like, I couldn't believe that I got sober. But I'm like, yeah, he's never going to get sober, ever. And he's been through a lot of crazy relationships just like I have. And he's been able to stay sober through it one day at a time doing this deal, right? So it's one day at a time. And it's based on the actions that we do today. And so I'm going to start my day off tomorrow like I started off today. I'm going to hit my knees. I'm going to ask God for the willingness to keep me sober for today. I'm going to pray for the newcomers. I have a bunch of names I rattle off that... Um, that I've been rattling off for years. And, you know, I've, I was thinking about the other day, I'm rattling off these 20 names that I have in memory and like a bunch of them are sober now, which is really cool, but I keep, keep saying their name, you know? And um, maybe so they stay sober. I do the third substrate prayer. I have some daily reflections I read in the morning. I call other guys. Um, I have four meetings a week I hit every day. I sponsor guys. I, I need to do better at making more phone calls. I try and call new guys every day just to check in. You know, and it's it just becomes a habit. And now I know, okay, why do I why did my sponsor tell me to call three guys every day? Why do I get commitments in meetings? I know now why I do that. Because for me, I just I get in the car, I pick up the phone, call someone in AA. I do that all day. Thank you. And why I learned I do that is because when things are good, it's easy to pick up that phone and, and, and call my buddies. Like, but then when things are bad, when things are horrible, when I have challenges going on, like when my dad passed, the first thing I did was call another AA guy. It was just, it becomes natural. Pick up the, pick up the phone, call my sponsor, call someone else. And, um, you know, in the middle of all this, um, this last year too, my sponsor um, decides to move to Tennessee. I'm like, right on, go, cool. And, but like with me, um, and I know people have sponsors that are out of state, but I like to be able to see my sponsor at least once a week. And so I ended up getting a sponsor who goes to Bellflower. So I've been going to Bellflower. I've been going to Under the Bridge on Thursday nights. I've been... I, it's just invigorated my problem. I, mean, I thought I was had a good program before that. Now it's just like, wow, it's unbelievable. Um, but I decided to get a new sponsor and I call him every day because, 
you know, every sponsor I've had has said, call me every day. And they never told me to stop. Even my sponsor, Ron, that moved to Tennessee, I still call him every day. I'm like, it's just like one of those habits. I still call him. I still, I call my sponsor Todd every day. I call my buddies every day. I'm just like, you know what? Alcohol Synonymous is just the center of my life. It's the center of my life. And everything I do, I plan around AA, like the roundup. I was telling you about that. Like I circle out of my calendar. Nothing's planned during that time. Like that's that, right? I have my Tuesday night meeting, unless I'm out of town working or something. I have my Thursday night meeting, my Sunday night, my Monday night meeting that I don't miss unless I'm out of town working or if I'm sick or if I'm asked to speak to another meeting, you can find me at those meetings. That's where I'm at. I plan everything around that. And and when I'm not at my meeting, like I'm here talking to you guys and I love being here, but I'm like, I'm missing my meeting right now. Right. That's right. I'm like, I'm, what, I'm like, what's going on over there? Like, and for someone like me, and when you're new, you're like, yeah, whatever. But for me to think that way is an absolute miracle. And I'm just blessed that that's how I think today. Like I think a first, what's going on first AA, it comes ahead of everything. It comes ahead of my marriage comes ahead of my family. It comes ahead of my job. It comes ahead of everything because without alcohol, without Alcoholics Anonymous, without me being in the middle of AA, without me doing all these little things, making the phone calls, working with guys, without doing that, I have nothing, absolutely nothing. So if you're new, get in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, get a sponsor, take the steps, get a commitment. There's, I'm sure there's commitments here at this meeting that need to be filled. If not, they'll find something for you to do. I'm a commitment coordinator for the Sunday night meeting I have right now, and I'm literally inventing commitments for people, and that's easy to do. Um, just get a commitment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, get a commitment. I've I've done every commitment there is in the book. I've picked up cigarette butts. I don't know how many times. I don't even smoke. But it's like, okay, give me a job, and I'll do it, because AA is the most important thing in my life. So if you're new, do this thing. It works, I promise. I pray that you get what I have, what I get out of this thing. And thanks for having me.